Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connect Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. This is Connecting with Coincidence, and we do this about every week. And lots of times every week, strange things happen. Uh, perhaps you've noticed some of these strange things happening uh, with you. Uh, last week, for example, I received a voicemail from uh, a colleague. I haven't heard from him for a couple, for a couple of years. He uh, has a particular take on synchronicity. Um, he wants to explain all of them in Freudian psychoanalytic terms. Well, he's got a good point. One that a lot of synchronicity writers don't acknowledge is that there is individual responsibility involved in creating coincidences. It may vary, the degree may vary, but it's, uh, we do some of this ourselves, whether we know it or not. Well, this voicemail, again, I hadn't heard from him for a couple of years, this voicemail from him said, Bernie, I, and he's very skeptical about anything outside of psychoanalytic. Bernie says, I received a message from a UFO or from God or from some master teacher. And the message said, contact you. And the message was very compelling to ask you about what's going on in synchronicity. Well, besides that it like said, maybe I have something to do with what's going on out there. I didn't think of that. I thought of like, I'm reading uh, books about the contact from uh, other sources like extraterrestrial ones, like maybe Pleiadians uh, is one way of people are talking about that. So I said, well, I'm reading that now. So that, that maybe has something to do with this. Um, so a friend of mine said, hey, Bernie, why don't you find out how that happened? Ask him about it. So I called him and said, hey, Gibbs, what was the context in which this happened? His name's Gibbs Williams. How did this happen? He said, what are you talking about? I said, you know that voicemail you left me about a message from someplace? He said, wait a minute. Um, I kind of remember that. I said, Gibbs, you don't remember that? He said, uh, and then I reminded him more and he said, oh, I was joking. <laughs> well, <laughs> Our guests just laughed, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I got mad at him for that. I've done that to other people, but he really got me on that one. So I got mad at, mad at him about it. Then I kind of calmed down about it and talked to some friends and talked with him and we settled our relationship, uh, I thought very nicely. Um, but was he joking? Um, Shakespeare, uh, had a phrase that stuck in my mind, uh, we jest in truth. 
was there something else that happened to him? Did he hit a state of consciousness in which something was communicating with him and it got through his rationality? Oh, I don't know. Well, we have a story coming up with our guest today, which I think is pretty funny to try to figure out. Uh, and uh, we're, gonna we're gonna get to it. Uh, our guest today is uh, Bethany Butzer. She's a writer and teacher and does research in the fields of positive psychology and transpersonal psychology, which emphasize, of course, the strength uh, of, of human beings and our potential. She received her PhD in psychology from the University of Western Ontario, Canada. She worked in the corporate world as well as academia. And that's really cool to go back and forth between those two because they are different worlds. She also spent uh, several years as an entrepreneur, which is cool. And then for two years, she was a postdoctoral research fellow at Harvard Medical School, where she studied the effects of yoga in school settings. Now that's, that's enough for being around, but how about this? Now, Bethany goes from Canada and Harvard and who knows where else to Prague, Czechoslovakia, where she teaches and does research as a lecturer in the School of Psychology at the University of New York in Prague. Her research focuses on yoga and mindfulness for youth, as well as transpersonal topics such as synchronicity, parapsychology, and a very important subject of eco-psychology. Bethany, thank you for joining me. And uh, I, of course, I love your story. And uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Bernie. No, I'm, I'm very happy to be here to talk about synchronicity and coincidence with you. So tell us a story. <laughs> tell us a story, Bethany. <laughs> mm. A synchronicity story, a coincidence story. Um, well, yes, the one I would like to share is related to a scientific article that I wrote about synchronicity. So I've been trying in the scientific world to advocate for taking a closer look at synchronicity from an empirical scientific perspective. And I wrote this paper about it and uh, went into this big long argument in the paper of, of why it's important to look at synchronicity as possibly being a, an indicator uh, of some sort of underlying consciousness or something that connects us with each other. And at the very end of that article, I included a little analogy, I guess you could say, about Michelangelo's painting of Adam and God from the Sistine Chapel with their fingers almost touching, but just not quite. And I, I suggested that synchronicity might be this tool that helps us bridge that gap between Adam and God, so to speak, between the human and the divine. And I ended the, the article there in this kind of poetic way and I sent it to the academic journal for peer review. And then it came back to me uh, with some suggested revisions. And of course, this is all an anonymous process. So I don't know who the reviewers are and they don't know who I am. And one of the reviewers uh, came and said, oh, well, five days before receiving my paper, he had a strong mental image of Michelangelo's painting of God and Adam, and that that image came to him and made him, as he was questioning why he studies coincidences, 
this this image came to him and, and it helped him see that it was both his humanity and divinity that were both involved in pushing him in this direction in some way. Uh, and um, you know, then he received my paper five days later as almost a, a confirmation, a synchronistic confirmation of this thought process that he'd had. So the synchronicity is, is there, yes. Yeah, so, so you had a reviewer having an image that was key to what you were, what you had in mind. And you had another coincidence with a, a fellow student, I think, involving that um, Michelangelo God, Adam, uh, fingers coming together thing. So, what happened yes. after after that? That you, um, that, so that was that was like two of them, uh, the student and you, with uh, this reviewer. And then what happened? Yes, right. Yes, there was also the student as well. There's been so many synchronicities with this that I sometimes forget them all. Um, yeah. So there was a, a student who also wrote an essay in that same uh, class that I was in that ended up also using Michelangelo's painting in her essay, even though her essay had nothing to do with synchronicity. Um, and we ended up sharing essays in a sort of synchronistic way. So there was that piece. Then there was the piece with the reviewer. Um, and what was the next one? I mean, they just continued so much. There was another one that involved um, a podcast that I was on uh, where I was uh, sharing this story with the podcaster. And then after the podcast was over, he finished the podcast and decided to check BBC News website just uh, for fun, because that's what he likes to do. And he opened the BBC homepage and the very first image on the homepage was Michelangelo's painting of Adam and God, uh, just right there in front of them, literally three minutes after he and I finished talking about it. Um, and then the final synchronicity I'll give with this was that um, I was asked to write a, a little paper, a kind of shorter blog, I guess you could say, a blog about this academic paper I'd written. And in the blog, I again talked about this Michelangelo synchronicity. And um, the woman who put the blog together, she sent it to one of our colleagues. And he got back to us saying, oh, well, I noticed you just, you sent me this email at 1.40 p.m. And right at exactly that time, I was in a class teaching a class about Kabbalistic psychology where I was referring to Michelangelo's painting of God and Adam as a connection between the human and the divine. Uh, and I was speaking about that right when you sent me this blog article about this synchronistic connection with that painting. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, that's a lot. That's a bunch of them. Uh, okay. Uh, I think there might be one more to add to your story. <laughs> <laughs> there probably is, and I'm probably forgetting it. Please remind me. This reviewer. Oh, yes. <laughs> that reviewer. <laughs> Wasn't there something about that reviewer that had something <laughs> to do with something here? <laughs> yes, yes. It's a, it's a big reveal. The big surprise <laughs> is that that reviewer was you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly, because I I tried to when, when I finished it I tried to be able to say to the editor well please put me in contact with you or at least have some idea who you are, and yeah that was me and uh, that's how we got here um, exactly and and I didn't know about these other ones with the podcaster and the other one the blog person that you were telling telling me about um, 
it's too bad I didn't think of this, of having the, an image right now of that Michelangelo um, painting on the Sistine Chapel. Um, and so that our viewers could see it. Um, and that's something maybe I'll learn to be able to do better. But I didn't know you had so many of them either, and probably more that you're not remembering. And mm -hmm. one of the, the major point of that paper you were writing for consciousness studies was that synchronicity is somehow a clue to consciousness being uh, a lot more around us than we think, because coincidences happen all the time. Are these hints about what's going on in our reality? Because I, my major focus is not so much on how coincidences are useful in everyday life and even in spiritual development. It's, uh, those are all very important and I wanna emphasize them, but the most important thing is how do they happen? And what, is they, what are they telling us about the nature of reality? Coincidences are ways we have human beings try to figure out what's going on around here. And you have made a link between <laughs> your Michelangelo and there's God. So there's Bethany trying to say, <laughs> hey, there's something, you're on the Sistine Chapel. You're trying to say, hey, there's consciousness and my finger is pointing towards that consciousness. And I'm trying to be able to say that to you people who study consciousness. So please talk more about consciousness and synchronicity. Mm. Yes, yes. Well, that's the, the argument basically that I was making in that paper was that synchronicity is like a clue that kind of pokes through the fabric of reality to show us that things are perhaps more interconnected than we think they are. Yes. Yeah. And, and I'm not the first person to, to say this at all, but I, I was just trying to publish in a, a mainstream academic journal promoting this kind of idea and really promoting uh, people to, to perhaps try to study this in some way. Um, just as an example, there is a, a philosophical concept called dual aspect monism. And basically what it suggests, the short version, is that it that reality is fundamentally just one thing. Uh, but because of our sense organs and sense, the, the way that we perceive things as humans, we split it into this dualistic aspect that is matter, like the things around me, physical objects, and mind, the things that seem to happen inside of my head just for me. Uh, and what dual aspect monism suggests is both mind and matter actually come from the same source. And it's just the way we perceive things the same way, I don't know, a snake can see, is it ultraviolet light or something, but, but we can't, you know, as, as humans, in that same way, the way we perceive reality gets split into mind and matter, where these things end up looking like they're separate when they're actually not. And so in that paper, I was trying to suggest that synchronicity happens when that that split between mind and matter breaks down a little bit, dissolves uh, in some way, and just for a brief moment, but we then experience for a brief moment, this underlying interconnectedness uh, between everything. There, there's a bit of a gap <laughs> in what you just said for me. Um, dual aspect monism, mind and matter are part of the same thing. 
Yeah, and it's said in other ways, Jung called it unus mundus, um, that one world, and it came out, and archetypes were involved in it somehow, which is still hard to figure out. And then you say it's all related, and it shows how we're interconnected. And what you're talking about is the matrix within which we're connected. Let me use the word matrix, this consciousness that is the source of both mind and matter. Well, I'm just like... I'm just like a guy here that says, hey, this, this is my desk. This is, I'm talking on Zoom with Bethany. Like, I'm right here. So I want to know how things are connected. It's, I want a cartography of this interconnectedness because it ain't just one big blur unless you get way out there, which mystics can do. Mystical experiences make it so that you can experience it as all one thing. But we're running around down here for some reason. And it's curious to me about why we're here. I mean, a lot of people ask that question. <laughs> I have for a long time. So we're here in this three-dimensional reality, being able to look into a greater consciousness. It shows the links among us earthlings. It shows the links among us with other conscious beings. And I don't mean just other people. I mean dogs and cats. And I, I, I communicate with trees. Other people do it with birds. And I'm helping somebody do it with flowers. These are all like conscious beings that are part of this reality, which coincidences help us notice. So I'm, this is part of my cartography of consciousness connections in this, on this planet. Would you please comment on that? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. And, and it's it's when you start getting into the the deeper philosophy and science and stuff that people really start splitting hairs about these kinds of things. And it and it like you said, it does get up, up above maybe too high, <laughs> where it's not it doesn't feel as grounded in this physical reality. Um, you know, part of those perspectives would say that potentially this physical reality is actually just like, it, of course, it looks and feels very real to us. Um, but it's actually an interface of some sort uh, or in that way. And there's also this, this difficulty with the use of the word consciousness, um, because when we say, first of all, no one seems to be able to define what consciousness actually is. And then when we say that, that maybe there's some underlying consciousness, um, what do we actually mean by that? So there's some philosophers who suggest that that the universe is actually under the underlying substrate of the universe. So at a deeper level than matter, space, time is consciousness, that the universe has some basic mental aspect. Um, there's others who suggest that, no, that's not necessarily the case, but that everything has consciousness ah. to, to varying degrees. And so, and the, the jury is out on, on who's correct on this and whether or not we'll ever be able to figure it out. But my hope is that we, we will. <laughs> like you said, make some kind of progress, a cartography of sorts. Well, we can, everything has consciousness is easier than knowing what consciousness is in the general sense, because we got to step outside of the big consciousness to be able to see what it is. We're tadpoles immersed in the, in the, in the pond of consciousness. We got to step out on the lake on the shore to be able to see it. Uh, and at least that's the way it seems to us. But there is Bethany Butzer in Prague, Czechoslovakia, writing a, a paper 
and talking about Michelangelo and the painting on the Sistine Chapel, like that. And there comes along a reviewer who thought about that five days before he got the review, the thing to review. And we can talk about the other ones involved too, as well as the fellow student and the blog person and the podcaster. But what we got here, Bethany, is you and me. That's who we got here, right here, you and me. <laughs> so it, we can start it with, because it's here, that the Michelangelo Sistine Chapel, God Adam painting uh, is a link between us. And, and these links are like between people um, come and go. They, they happen and then they pass. Uh, there, there may be some underlying permanency to all of these things, but right now I'm just doing what's in front of me as what, it's what I just you do is like I can see it and then look at it and then see what's underneath it uh, and then try to go deeper when possible. What, what is it about Michelangelo, the Sistine Chapel, God, Adam, and you and me that might help us understand a couple of lines in the cartography of this interconnection that you are talking about? Hmm. Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that as I, as more of these synchronicities started to happen, I started to learn a little bit more about Michelangelo. And, and during his lifetime, he was actually referred to as Il Divino, which means uh, the divine one. And he was seen as channeling, being like a direct channel for the divine in some way. And it feels like perhaps even though Michelangelo isn't physically here anymore, he perhaps has truly become a divine one that is being channeled through these experiences that I'm having and that we had together. Um, that perhaps, again, it's like, and for, I don't know why it's like this, but that it's, it's like the universe dropping little clues, little fun breadcrumb crew clues of like, look, the divine one is connecting people in this divine way through this divine painting. Uh, that, that, and the painting literally speaks to this connection between humanity and divinity and the, the gap being so small um, that we're almost there, you know, and, and what did, would it take to bridge that? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that gap to me has been like a synapse in the brain between two neurons, but that's one of the metaphors you can have about the gap. And you, there isn't, it's very important to know how to be able to bridge the gap. And this discussion with you is a, is a form of bridging that gap, mm -hmm. uh, is trying to see what is it that went between us that made this happen, that that's one question that I, I think is hard to answer, but what the way I think about this is that at least it gave me the opportunity to suggest to you that we talk. And that therein becomes like uh, another question uh, is if Michelangelo is spirit is dropping the breadcrumbs and I'm all with that breadcrumb thing. Uh, I'm all with the hints and the clues. Uh, that's, I've got a new book uh, that I finally got a publisher for. And that's the basic idea that these are clues to how reality works. 
and uh, like coincidences uh, are the mysterious hiding in plain sight is mm -hmm. another way of saying this. It's like, you've got to look, you need to be curious. And you're curious, Bethany Butzer, you are curious. <laughs> and you've got to be curious in this business because that's what's the, where the fun is. Try to figure, hey, what happened there? So this brought us together to have a conversation which may be just the limit of it. It's such a good one, though. <laughs> I think there's more energy in here than just, just we're having this conversation. But that's just my view of it. Um, your, your, some of your concepts are very parallel to mine, the breadcrumbs and the clues. You're saying it right there, talking about interconnections interconnections what the difference i have with you is that i'm trying to say okay we're connected now these brought michelangelo brought us together for this i'm trying to do synchronicity coincidence serendipity in this mm. um so and i'm looking for people who want to keep doing this who are crazy enough to think just the way we're thinking is these are clues so that's that's kind of, that's that's I, I don't know if I'm right or anything, but this is what I think. Hmm. No, I think that's a really interesting idea, and and to me, um, what, what I what I sort of feel with that is that there's like a linearity to it in a way, like that that we've this idea that we're having a conversation for some kind of reason, and and which I would pro I would agree with. What I think becomes interesting when we start talking in this way is when we start to think about time and what is time in some ways. So does this mean that the fruits or whatever you want to call it of this conversation need to happen tomorrow? I find that synchronistic timing works in really warped ways so that it might be like 10 years from now, someone listens to this podcast and it gives them some inspiration to do something and then we end up getting some grant to do some big research project you know but it could be a long ways away or it could be tomorrow uh and, and i think that that's where synchronicity works best is when we kind of release our attachment in some it's it's this delicate balance between sticking with it like acknowledging the synchronicity noticing it paying attention seeing what fruits might come out of it and at the same time, releasing our attachment to what might happen and allowing it to unfold in its own divine timing, not exactly knowing, but trying to trust that what's supposed to come out of it will, even if we never see it. So it might be that in a month, someone listens to this podcast and it changes their life in some way. Maybe for whatever reason, it, it makes them decide to not commit suicide or something like that. I'll just use that as an example. But we might never know that that happened. Um, so it's, it's very mysterious. There's a balance you're talking about between uh, conscious intention and letting it happen. And I didn't have to try to contact you. So I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm trying now these days is to bring together a web of synchronicity thinkers. Mm. So for me right now, you become a possibility consciously in that web. So that's, that's the way I think about it. 
whether that's right for you or not is another question about how that works, but you're in it anyway, because you're <laughs> thinking about the same things that the, my group is from different perspectives. And that's what's wonderful about it is that people come at it with different perspectives. So that's, that's I wanna leave that there because I wanna ask some other questions. Uh, um, uh, you you have some idea about how researchers um, might be researching synchronicity in a scientific way. Could you tell us what you, what you know about that? Mm. Yeah, I would say in general, most of the research that I've seen on synchronicity is either uh, books, you know, books that people have written uh, or qualitative studies, sometimes studies where people do interviews uh, with people who've experienced synchronicities. And then there's your research that is, in my opinion, among a very small amount of research that's been done using quantitative methods, actually collecting numerical data and, and crunching the numbers, doing statistics, et cetera. And there, there's also some mathematical modeling uh, that, that's also numeric mathematical modeling of synchronicity using uh, Fibonacci sequ sequences and all sorts of interesting things like that. But in general, the amount of research out there on synchronicity is very small, I would say, and it's not growing really quickly, I think partly because synchronicity is so elusive and our current scientific method and paradigm requires us to really concretely define things, measure them, etc. And trying to do this with synchronicity, it's not impossible at all, but it gets a little bit challenging. It, like what we were just talking about, it's challenging to force synchronicities to happen in a lab or something like that. Um, so then what do you do? How do you study it? And, and I think that when I, when I wrote that article, I was trying to make a call to researchers to I don't have the answer, but let's let's get together and be in the question and, and see what we can figure out as far as actually moving synchronicity forward scientifically. That's what my new book uh, is intended to do because most of the time when you start a new field, it's not exactly a new field, but try to make it more scientific, you start with description. So I, try to describe what's a coincidence. Define it, do the etymology of the term coincidence, just because I thought, thought that's really interesting where it came from, where synchronicity came from, where serendipity came from. Seriality is what you have with Michelangelo, where it's a series of ones um, that Paul Kammerer tried to describe, and it's a different form. So I, I say that there are two main elements, key elements to any coincidence, mind and object. You know that. <laughs> so why don't we just label them as mind and object? Your dual aspect monism <laughs> just gives more support. I hadn't thought of that together with what I'm doing. So if you get mind and object, you get three kinds of coincidences. Mind object, mind mind, like telepathy, and object object like the Michelangelo series were visible by a third person. So that's, that's the beginning of describing it. And the term serendipity and synchronicity, everybody loves them like uh, the people in Montreal like their uh, French, uh, but it's like, we gotta like get to a more basic language, which mind object 
seems to do. So that's where I start and then uh, describe examples under each one. Uh, give a list of explanations because explanations, most of the time, and you know this, people say, this one, this is the best explanation. This is the only explanation. God or statistics are usually the main one. And then a variety of other things like uh, different kinds of coinciders, people who experience coincidences, and um, the often neglected misuse or problematic coincidences. Because some of them, as you say rightly, I think some of them look bad now, but could be good later. Some of them are great now, but awful later. Time is a very important variable. So, and I get into some other speculations. So that's what I'm trying to do now is help unify the field. What do you think of that? No, I think that's a great idea. I think that we, we do have to start somewhere with at that more, um, I don't want to call it basic. It's not exactly the right word, but this level of like, what is it we're talking about? How can we precisely define it? How can we potentially measure it. Um, I agree that I find, I just tend to use the word synchronicity out of habit, but I found a frustration I had in looking at the literature on synchronicity is people really get so into Jung as the person who coined this term and what exactly did he mean? And, and they go so like, well, what was he really talking about? Which is great in, in some ways, like if you're a Jungian scholar and you want to study this, great. But I think that there's a broader, um, and you've mentioned like these three different types, this broader way of looking at it, not just in Jungian terms, but in, in, in broader terms. Not that Jung was wrong necessarily, um, but his, his ideas were very um, complex and multifaceted and um, difficult to study empirically in some ways. Um, so I like the idea of, of, of what you've talked about in your, your next book. So I, I look forward to reading it. And at the same time, this is something that I've particularly struggled with because I, I love science in that way. So I love the idea of, yes, let's get this all concrete and, and describe it and measure it. And at the same time, I'm also very aware of how quantitative research reduces information to the point that you lose meaning sometimes. And, and so how can we balance that? Um, so in the paper that I wrote, I talked about maybe using mixed methods approaches or transpersonal research methods or something to go along with the quantitative aspect to, to flesh things out because synchronicities and coincidences, one of their defining features is often but not always that there's meaning involved. And so do we lose too much of that meaning when we try to crunch it all into numbers? I don't know. Oh yeah, we do. Um, we can, and it will happen. If, if what I have in mind is going to happen, that will happen. You have people who just get to the numbers uh, and get caught up in them because that's what they love to do. It, we're at a, a time again, I don't know where it's happened before, where we got to balance the male and the female, the yin and the yang, the, the rational and the intuitive. And coincidences help us do that. Because if you want to interpret the meaning of them, you need to be both rational and intuitive to do that. And that will also cover science. And there'll be people who do one or the other. There's a lot of intuitive, I know, yeah, and don't think rationally about it. And there's rationality, the statisticians are the other end of that. So you're right, but those of us who are doing this want to get that balance that 
uh, you're talking about between the intuitive and the rational uh, and figure out a way to do it. But it starts to me with describing what's mm -hmm. going on here. What, what are we talking about? Because the word synchronicity is used in so many different ways, not just Jungian, but I, I'm not going to go on about that right now, but it's used to cover serendipity also. Mm -hmm. And here in Europe, serendipity is being studied academically. They're doing MRIs on people experiencing serendipities. Wow. If they are, they don't think, I mean, they have already what you're talking about, the highly rational statistical thing, and the meaning begins to get lost, and the kind of interconnectedness that serendipity sometimes illustrates gets lost. It's happening now in Europe. There's something called the Serendipity Society. You're a lot closer to them. Do you know about them? Yes, yes, I'm a member, yeah. Oh, you are a member. Mm -hmm. Oh, wonderful, 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 wonderful. I mm -hmm. went to the first meeting in 2019 in London, uh, and got to know some of the people. So um, I want to be able to include more serendipity people in the Coincidence Project. We get more Americans doing synchronicity and European serendipity. Mm. So as, as we're coming to the end of our, our discussion, Bethany, um, how might the studying of synchronicity help in shifting the current materialistic scientific paradigm? <laughs> yes, well, I mean, I guess I'll just briefly mention that this current materialist paradigm, just in case maybe listeners don't know what that means, is, is this idea in, in science the, these days, you know, the last maybe 200 plus years, that the universe is a, operates kind of like a big machine, uh, this, and, and that this big machine can be reduced uh, it's a physical machine and it can be reduced to its component parts. And in that way, we will understand reality. And this form of, and that's not just materialism, I'm combining a few things there, but, but this version, this paradigm of science is very deeply ingrained in us. And it's actually done a lot of great things. We have airplanes and cars and all sorts of wonderful medical cures and things like that because of this version of science. So it's not that this version of science is bad. However, from my perspective, it needs to be expanded uh, to consider what we would currently call, for lack of a better word, non-material explanations, because we just don't have explanations for things like telepathy, for example. Uh, we can't figure out a physical reason why, I'll give a brief example, that I had a dream a few, like a year ago, about a, a Rottweiler dog biting my arm, and then three months later, my mom was walking down the street and a Rottweiler dog attacked her and bit her in the arm. And it was very similar. My dream was very similar to her experience. Materialist science cannot explain that because we can't find a physical cause for that. We, at least right now, we don't have a physical cause. It, we might find one, but we don't yet have one. So my idea is that looking more closely into synchronicity, might help us expand the current scientific paradigm to include potential non-material explanations, such as there being some underlying consciousness as the actual basic structure of reality, instead of matter, for example, being the basic structure of reality. Um, so it's just an idea. Again, I don't have the answer for it, but I think that the current paradigm really does need to shift to look more at to be more open-minded, 
I guess you could say, uh, to consider alternative perspectives. Otherwise, we just will keep repeating the same formulas and maybe not getting anywhere when it comes to things like, like synchronicity and parapsychology or psychic phenomenon. You're offering the consciousness. Unfortunately, we don't know what you mean by it. Uh, and that makes it hard to know what you're actually talking about. You want a lever. Give me a, a lever and I'll move the world, Archimedes was said to have said, which I thought's a wonderful idea. And you're trying to stand on this, this hard to define thing, hard to conceptualize thing that you have to get outside of. It's kind of like the universe is expanding faster than the speed of light. Where's it going? We, well, we can't be outside of it to see what's, what's, what's going on with it. We can't even see where it's going because it's expanding so fast or, or what's happening with it. So we have a kind of a metaphor in the universe with what it's doing with consciousness. So it's, it, there's a lot of questions raised. Uh, could, you have a, could you have something that you could help like science, like have a, um, something that they can stand on a little bit more uh, to be able to, when they ask you what consciousness is? Uh, mm, that's a good question. And you know, honestly, you're, I don't think you're going to like my answer to this, but honestly, I think scientists and just people in general, we actually have to be more willing to be in the not knowing, like approach the universe with a humility, a sense of humble not knowing in the face of what you might call the great mystery of our existence. So, and that feels uncomfortable, but I think that inhabiting that not knowing sometimes can actually lead to innovations and breakthroughs that help us do the things we didn't think we'd be able to do. So for example, a lot of Einstein's work came from thought experiments that he did uh, in his mind. You know, so I think about people, contemplatives, monks, people who do a lot of meditation and who feel they do actually transcend and get outside the fishbowl that you're talking about. What about those people? What about their experiences of being outside of it? What do they see? Um, there are perhaps ways if we stay open-minded enough to get outside of the fishbowl, but I think we have to, like we were talking about before, have this balance of, of doing our best, trying to, to do some, some science, and at the same time, not knowing and being humble and balancing, as you were saying before, that masculine feminine aspect of rationality and intuition. Oh yeah, I agree with you. Um, uh, it's fun to be in the not knowing because it becomes an adventure. It's not enough just to be curious. It's, you gotta be moving into the unknown, curious and then moving and be comfortable with not knowing what's gonna happen. And then being able to be alert enough to notice, Bethany Butzer described Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel painting. And I saw that five days before that. I mean, you gotta remember and think that that's a curious phenomenon. And it's a curious phenomenon that brought us together to have a very, very interesting conversation. And I very much appreciate uh, that you have joined me and that we've had a lot of fun talking with each other. Mm, me too. No, I always love talking about this topic and um, just being open to, to what's possible with it, even if we don't know exactly how it'll turn out. Psychosphere is our mantle at birth.
Cosmic consciousness